thank you guys for being here for holy shit uh my name is dan taylor and uh welcome to the show it's been a while because we took last week off uh because the world exploded and uh so i hope everybody uh listened to tyler burns and jamar tisby on uh the uh witness uh pass the mic podcast from the witness black uh christian collective um continue to listen to them this is an important time for uh all of us to be listening to black voices so uh i uh yeah keep that up don't we can't quit on this thing so uh then and it ought not to go away so um but we are gonna we we have to because uh the these podcasts aren't gonna listen to themselves uh we are gonna keep going with our show which is an adult bible study so welcome to holy shit we have with us two guests and if you've been here before great if you haven't been here before the way it works is i tell a bible story uh to hopefully a smart person and hopefully uh a smart and possibly amusing idiot and uh we uh figure out together if the what does this story possibly mean for us as a culture and and actually i even think that this is important um because one of the great tragedies i think uh and i've said this before but in our society is that the bible is incredibly influential and yet most people have never actually read it and know what it says which puts us in a very dangerous position so um uh oppressing classes for the last 2000 years have not really wanted people there, the people they're oppressing to read the Bible. A big part of Nat Turner's decision to have a violent revolution was reading the Bible. He was taught to read and he read the Bible. A big part of John Brown's conversion to, to, to force him to have uh, a violent uh, revolution against uh, slavery in the US was reading the Bible. So. Um, when we actually read the Bible, we might find ourselves becoming much more revolutionary than we thought we were. So we're going to read the Bible with some friends today. The first friend that we have here is uh, all the way from the beautiful city of Hamilton. Please put your hands together for the wonderful and lovely Kevin Mankins. Hello. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. It is Kevin Makins, but that's Makins, all right. I don't really care. Um, but I just thought I'd get that right out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, um, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it should be fun. Now, you are the first uh, pastor that I've had on the show. And you're actually honor. a gainfully employed pastor, which I am not at the time. So um, thank you for being here. I'm a little bit nervous because you might know this stuff better than me. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a chance, there's, there's, but it's not high. It's not high. <laughs> But uh, yeah, tell us a little. Tell us a little bit about that. You're based in Hamilton. What's what's going on? What's what's up there? Yeah, so uh, I'm a pastor in downtown Hamilton, Ontario. Live down here with my uh, wife, my two kids. Uh, we've got a couple of housemates who live with us as well, and started a church community about ten years ago with like fifteen people um, who were on the edge of church, on the edge of faith. Some of them uh, raised in the church. Some of them had left the church. Some of them very little to no church background at all, um, but wanted to figure out what that might look like. We were 23 when we started a church, which should have been a disaster, um, yeah. but it went decently well, actually. So we've just had this slowly evolving church. Um, yeah, gainfully employed. I mean, when I first started, it was like gainfully employed for like $5,000 a year um, and full-time work at a group home. But it, we, have, we have slowly evolved until we've become just a normal, ordinary church in many ways. We, are, we have committees, which is like the best if you never had committees and your whole church is artists and like hippies and, and people that are kind of disorganized. What, the day we got committees was like the greatest day. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah. So in a lot of ways now we, we are a little more established, but still lots of um, people who maybe wouldn't fit in other kinds of congregations. Um, lots of people on the edge of faith who are kind of trying to figure out what they believe, if they believe, how they believe. Um, LGBTQ plus people who maybe don't have space in other churches to kind of not check themselves at the door, but enter fully into a church community. And we've just tried to make a space where uh, people can come in and say, I'm interested in Jesus. I'm interested in his table. I'm interested in uh, the Bible. I'm interested in being a part of this tradition, but I don't want to uh, check any part of myself at the door or any part of my mind or even my emotional um, integrity at the door to do that. Um, so we just try to create a bit of a non-anxious space to say, come into this, let's engage with this, see what uh, God does in people's lives, but that's God's business, not really my business to micromanage. So we're just going to set the table and see what, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little woo-woo charismatic, but I'm trying to be more. So I'll say <laughs> seeing what the spirit, I'm trying to kill the cynicism with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a slow, slow death. Totally. Um, but yeah, trying to, trying to own that, like, we'll see what the spirit does with this. So cracking open a story and being like, we don't even know where we're going with this. Like, yeah. ah, chef's kiss. No. That's perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for being here. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I love that you've got a church specifically for weirdos. And one of those, uh, weirdos is very funny comedian who is also here. Zach McDonald. Welcome. Hey Dan, how's it going? <laughs> how's it Kevin? What's up? Uh, you're not <laughs> happy to be here. Yeah, you're not doing as much comedy. You're studying sportscasting now too. That's pretty dope. Yeah, yeah, I'm in uh, I'm in journalism school right now, and I uh, write for a Raptors website, Raptors Rapture, and I have my own podcast, the Zachy Sports Podcast, which is kind of like a, it's like a, the intersection of sports and culture. It's like a funny, it's a funny sports podcast. So, what's the what's the dream? Is it like your own podcast on the Ringer, or is it like to be sideline for somebody, or like what's the yeah, like my own podcast for The Ringer is the dream. Like that's the literal dream. That's kind of like I got into uh, like Grantland back in the day and all of those guys. And I followed like Bill Simmons through that. And I was doing stand up for a long time. Like I think for eight or nine years, I like made a comedy special. I put it out, um, did a living room tour across Canada. And then I just realized that I just didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, and I also ran out of stuff to say. I told this like really big story of my life. And then I was just kind of, I just didn't have anything else to say. So then I had to figure something else out. And I started writing and it was really fun. Yeah. So. When in doubt, I just talk about pandas. Like there's always a never ending swath of panda material. And 100%. People are more than willing to talk about pandas. Like is, yeah. Like every time I still do stand up every every couple of months and now it's just it's just all dating. That's all I got. <laughs> nice. That's also sounds like its own fresh hell. <laughs> oh, you you don't even know the start of it. Kevin does. <laughs> I know a little bit. <laughs> I told well, Tech recently I can't get emotionally invested in his love life until he's been with somebody for like two months. Because <laughs> it's just dating. I didn't date. I got married at 20. I functionally right. was arranged marriage. So right. I'm not emotionally mature enough to handle this dating business. Yeah. Like come back when you're in it. I, I and I'm just like, I don't know what's going on with me right now, but it is just cycling through. I'm trying to work my way through the entire city of Toronto, just like respectfully dating people. Like I'm not like being a, a like a deviant or anything like that. I just like oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> making charcuterie boards for girls and dumping them two days later. It's horrible. <laughs> and dumping the board just all in the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, 
Also worth pointing out that Zach and I are like IRL friends for, yeah. for years. So if, if we're like borderline, other, borderline family. Yeah. We, yeah, very close to family. If this goes well, <laughs> family. <laughs> <laughs> well, which is part of the fun of the dynamic that I wanted to have you guys on for. I like it when people know each other. So, and uh, this puts me in a disadvantage because you guys know each other already. And, and every time I've known the story, I've known the people more. And I feel like I'm in the power position. And I think that every once in a while, I need to put myself not in the power position because I think it just makes me a more interesting person to not. I mean, your wife and mother are here also. So I think you know each other. Yeah, but you don't know my wife and mother enough to know that they're going to take your side on any. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Amazing. But um, so. Today, we're going to talk about the story of Judah and Tamar, and I wanted to ask you guys, I mean, Kevin, you already said that you're kind of part of a church, you're in a church, you're, that's kind of like the, the community in which you placed yourself. Did you grow up with that? Was that like always in your head? Did you grow up with Bible stories specifically? Or? Um, yeah, like I was raised in the Lutheran church, um, in a very like kind of smaller church, 80 people or so on a Sunday, lots of older people, very few people my own age loved it like like that eh, no i didn't love it it was an old boring church but i get i loved the people they were nice i had great sunday school teachers mm-hmm. um we learned the kind of felt board version of the bible stories um and you know the church wasn't afraid to ask the hard questions but it was never like they weren't afraid to ask the hard questions and then immediately give you the only answer um <laughs> which is not how you should read the bible um but you know more power to them they're just trying to make it um they're just trying to survive but I think that, you know, questions... Probably was... less power to them, if that's your theory. I'm actually going to say. <laughs> Zach, I'm... Gonna, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on more power. No, that's... They're doing, oh, they're doing bad things. More power to them. Like, no, no, I don't, no, I don't, that's not how it works. Sweet old Mrs. <laughs> Francis being like, I don't know. It's guided me well for 90 years. Like, I'm not changing my mind now. Um, <laughs> so I think, I think I was always a, a kid who asked a lot of questions. Like, that was always a thing for me. It was like... No, like, let, let's ask another question. No, that doesn't make any sense. No, yeah. you know, wh- where is it going? Why would that story be there? Why does it suddenly jump to a different story in the middle of that one story? Yeah. Um, and wasn't until I went to seminary, you know, um, I was going to say a long time later, but now, it, you know, it wasn't that long later. I was like 21. So right. <laughs> the older I get, the less later it was in my life. It was kind of <laughs> like, oh, I was pretty young then too. Yeah. But I, um, I had some professors who really like would crack open the Bible um, and the, you know, especially the Old Testament um, and, yeah. and the gospel writings, which are very old, which are Jewish writings. Yeah. And we're like, here's how you read Jewish literature. And what you don't do is prescribe what it says and then shut it up. Like you, right. you have to let it make you uncomfortable. So that's when I started actually really liking the Bible. Yeah. Um, you know, and being like, oh, this is good. Like, even if I don't believe a word of it, it's yeah. good. Now, the fact that I happen to think it's got, like, real truth in it makes it even more compelling. But, like, just as stories, I see why these things endured. Yeah, uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that that thing is really important. That just, like, yeah, like, we, we, like, we can leave the belief part out of it. In some ways, that's the least important question. It's like, what does this say? You know, like, we don't, we don't, none of us are sitting here going around being like, well, I can prove that Batman could have swung from building to building on his gunnable cords. You know, it's like, that's not the point of the the story. You know, like, if that's the only, the first episode we did was Jonah. And it's like, one of the first things I said was like, if the point of the story is, can a human live inside the belly of a fish? You've missed the point of the story. Like, not a question anymore. Yeah, like when someone does that at like a like Comic-Con, you're like, shut up. Like, you know, when they're like, 
well, actually he couldn't swing. It's just like, no, no, like that is, if you're telling a story and somebody interrupts you in the first five seconds to explain why it may not work like that, yeah. you don't want to tell that person the good story. No, it's not the point. So what about you, Zach? Did you grow up with this kind of stuff or was it part of your life when you were a kid or in any way? Uh, no, not really. Uh, my family is like extremely, extremely loosely Irish Catholic, right. but like not even like, not even church every Easter and Christmas, like may, like maybe a six or seven times in my whole, entire life. Um, and then I, in my teenage years, was like pretty hardcore atheist, kind of like very typical, like stand-up comedian stuff. Started to listen to like George Carlin and Bill Hicks. And I was like railing against religion in my mind. And then I went through a brief period where I was smoking a lot of weed and uh, getting really interested in like Eastern spirituality. Okay. And then I went to, I started practicing yoga five times a week. I went to India, I had this horrible experience in India, but I was just really like spiritually thirsty for something. So I went to this coffee shop down the street from my house. Uh, there was a lady there, my friend, Anne, and she said, Hey, I go to this, uh, this cool church, uh, Cause she heard up a little bit. Of, she actually, she had seen me do stand up like a few years earlier and it was really just like uh, very offensive and just like very raunchy. And it kind of like, it, it wasn't me, but it was like the show made her like get up and like leave the room. And then like later when comedy shows would happen in bars that she was in, she would preemptively leave. Yeah. yeah. And then I lived in the neighborhood. So she opened up this coffee shop and I used to walk, in front of her coffee shop and she used to think to herself like oh look it's that fucking guy and i would have <laughs> just like smoking cigarettes and have like a bag from the lcbo and she's like she's like you know what i'm in this neighborhood but i'm glad people like that never come into my coffee shop um because i grew up like in like hamilton very blue collar like i was just a blue collar guy um and then i started going to the coffee shop and i was like a different guy and she's like oh what happened to you and then I explain this whole story about India. And then she says, yeah, like I go to this cool church and uh, you should come sometime. And I'm just, I'm down for whatever. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go. And that's Kevin's church, the church that Kevin started Eucharist. And I thought it was, I thought it was great. I, I didn't go for like seven months because it was football season right, and they interfered with football. So I wasn't going to go to church if football was on. Yeah. And, and they have it at like 3 PM, which like says a lot about Eucharist. It's like, <laughs> It's like all the people that nobody liked sports. There wasn't a single football guy on a board anywhere that was like, hey, let's not just throw this in the middle of the 1 p.m. games. You even missed yeah. the 4 p.m. starts. It's horrible. Um, but once the winter rolled around, I started going, and uh, I loved it. It was great. They, like, let gay people go there, which I thought was cool. And uh, the message was just, like, very powerful to me. I was uncomfortable with Christianity for the most part. Yeah. Uh, just just because of, I mean, all the reasons why we anybody, earned it, you know. Yeah, you earned it. Yeah, one hundred percent. It seems horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all the stories were bad. We earned all the wearing. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody's like, why don't people like us? Well, <laughs> do you have about seven weeks? Like, that? yeah. <laughs> like there was nothing. Like there was nothing particularly appealing about. Like Christianity was by far the least appealing out of all the religions right. to me. It seemed just there was just no redeeming factor to it. But I went to this church and kind of my idea was like, okay, I'll go to this church and I'll do it for real. Like, yeah. even if I don't believe this stuff, I'll like, just try. 
So I just got involved in any way that I could and tried to make salads for refugees. And people asked me to like hold hands and pray. And I was like, this is very uncomfortable. (laughs) And I did it anyway. And then you kind of just, things started happening because of it. And it started to just change who I was as a person. And like, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, I don't know what, what I believe at first, but I know that doing this stuff has a tangible effect on my life. And then after about a year of going there, I wouldn't have identified as a Christian, but Kevin and I had a long talk on a frozen lake in Hamilton one day. And uh, it was, it was extremely romantic. (laughs) Uh, And I kind of like talked about my issues with Christianity, the big questions that I had, what it looks like to be a Christian. And then I just, I decided that that I wanted to do it. So I got baptized. And that was about five years ago. Sweet. And yeah. And now I, live in Toronto and I go to another church called uh, free church, which is loosely related to Eucharist. Okay. And I'm at a way I'm at a very different part of my faith journey right now that I don't really know how to describe, but yeah. I definitely identify as a Christian and, uh, yeah. but I, but it gets weirder as it goes on. I feel like it, it doesn't stop getting weird. <laughs> it was, I think it's, this show's interesting. Cause like for Zach and I comedy and like public speaking, was such a bond of like even our friendship yeah. like the day he got baptized after that like the community baptized him it was like cheers and excited then we hopped in a car and went and saw mark Marin yeah. in toronto like that night um and it was just like oh like all of this like sitting around and talking like talking about what's true uh saying things fi- to figure out if they're right or wrong like kind of just saying it and trying it like there's so many overlaps between um comedy and preaching that I think that we kind of had this perfect marriage of like, oh, we've each been doing this in different spheres. Yeah. And now like this friendship is going to transform both of us in yeah. different ways. And, you know, I see that as kind of God's work is like kind of this work of taking worlds and the collision makes both sides new. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and, and Kevin and I, like, we see, we just like really see things a lot on the same page as far as like spirituality and like with comedy and how those two things come together. And it was really easy for us to kind of mm-hmm. vibe on that. That's, I think it's interesting. It's like when I started doing comedy, like I didn't do it as a mission. I did it because like I was doing full-time pastoring work for the first time. And I was like, oh shit, I don't know anyone who doesn't believe exactly what I believe. That's not cool. Um, it's like, like an escape, not a mission. Yeah, <laughs> like, I gotta yeah, get yeah. away from these church people. Yeah, well, yeah, it really <laughs> was. But in, in some ways it was like saving because like I found in, in the embassy comedy community, it was pretty cool. But like, I just found like, there was an honesty the comedians had where it's just like the the all of the comics that I knew were like openly fucked up and yeah and you know made no attempts to hide it and you could be in process that was cool but like but you in a way that I felt like the pastors I, I felt like a lot of the pastors I was around and I never felt this expectation as a pastor but a lot of the pastors I was around felt this expectation to be a superhero and and I'm just not a superhero. So like, and com- comedians are definitely not superheroes. So <laughs> so it was just like, I was like, oh, right. And then, but at the same time, like there was this, I was experiencing as a pastor, this weird professional jealousy that happens. Like, cause like you see somebody else in their churches taking off and like having success and like doing things that I want to be doing and it's not happening for me. And we're never supposed to talk about that out loud as pastors. Whereas a comedian, you can be like, well, why does that guy, why are people laughing at the joke? I hate that guy. You know, you could at least be open about with that part of yourself specifically. And that was just a really specific part of myself that 
I was just like, I found a home in comedy where it could be like, I like you, you're a friend. I don't, I'm, 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 I'm jealous of your success. Whereas like in pastoral world, like you weren't allowed to do that. It felt like, you know, like there was a, that was like a bridge that couldn't be crossed to be like, or even ask, you know, so um, yeah, it was, it was, those were the coming together of those two things was really, I, I think saving for me in a lot of ways, just as a human, but. And we, we should. And it was really, it was, it was interesting for me because I had the exact opposite experience with church mm -hmm. where like my entire life, I was only around fucked up people. Like that, right. those were my people. And I was openly fucked up too. And I was like, you know, like my standup was about like having like weird threesomes with like my comedy friends. And mm -hmm. I grew up in like a really rough situation and uh, all this kind of stuff like that. And then I went to church and for the first time in my life, I met like people with their lives together. It was insane. <laughs> I was like, these people, first of all, the craziest thing was like, people are like, they're like whatever like 17 years old they're like married have a house they're like have three kids somehow all my comedy friends are like 42 years old living in their parents basement like <laughs> like making doing the exact same shows that i'm doing i was like this is people were inviting me there was like potlucks potlucks blew my fucking mind when i went to church for the first yeah. time i was i went there and there was like and i didn't bring anything because i don't know how to even I was amazed that I got there. I would bring up chips or a pop, but it was like people were making food and they're just like, have it. Or just people just let you into their house and they're just giving you food. And you're like, you're like, I wish I would have known about this earlier. I've been hungry for so long. You mean I could have like studied in high school and somebody would have helped me with that? I literally didn't know that was one of the options. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, I was just like, oh, you just, you know, you just drink until you make big mistakes and then you smoke cigarettes until you start drinking again. And that was what life was. <laughs> and then somebody's like, no, you could like go for a walk. <laughs> I think, I think too, like what's interesting, Zach, like I'm, you've, you've done like, you've made jokes like this for so long. It's so, they're so funny to me from like more of a church perspective. But I think that if you had walked into, this is not like a, like, oh, our church is like the good church. Like we're not, we're, we're absolutely not the good church. Just the only thing we're good at is being honest and people being like relatively trying to have their lives together. Like, but I think if you had walked into certain churches where it was like the presentation of a life together, but not the like substance mm -hmm. that you would have bucked against that super hard. But it was the yeah. like, I think it was that like, I don't have it all together, but I'm trying and these people help me try was like the kind of, I think, I think it's like the only thing our church is good at <laughs> is being like, we're really trying, but it's still pretty shitty. Um, and I think that that was probably what you needed at that point in your life to like click something through. Well, totally. I think there's like, there, there is a point where it's just like, it's really helpful sometimes to watch other people just white knuckle life. Cause there are times when all of us have to just white knuckle it. We just got to like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm putting one foot in front of the other. I would like someday to be a responsible adult. I think this is going to get me there. And I'm white knuckling right now. Whereas like in comedy, you have people who are like, I'm not even trying for that anymore. That's a <laughs> concept. I do comedy so that I can just travel around, never engage in real relationships and drink myself into oblivion every night. <laughs> Which there's, there's, so, there's something beautiful about that too. Like, there, like that's not to be thrown out. You no. know what I mean? Like oh. there is, there's something about that. You just may not want to build your whole life on it. 
<laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, go do it. And then you'll figure it out. Well, the best are the, and, and some of the best comedians and people are the ones who like, they do that for like a period of 20 years and they're like, that wasn't nearly as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. You know, like I, you know, like I, I have one comedy friend I can think of who's like a, who's now trying to white knuckle it as like a, he's like in his forties, but he's trying to white knuckle it as a new dad and husband, you know? And he's just like coming out of, you know, probably a good 20 year period where he had to make the decision like, okay, I don't want to drink myself into oblivion after every show. I'm going to wake up in the morning some days and like go to a museum, right? Like that was step yeah. one. And, you know, where it was just like, there's things that I want to engage in other than the life that happens after I do my set at 11 o'clock at night. And, uh, you know, like, and, and like there is that, but just to know that there's options, like you can do that. You don't have to do one thing or the other. So, because there's a lot of people that are like, if I'm going to be a comedian, I have to be like living at the edge of like, some sort of Sam Kinison reality all the time. And I'm like, no, that's not good. <laughs> that's a good way to die quick in a Camaro accident. And <laughs> like, but that's not uh, a great way to live your life until you're, you're 80. So yeah, it's uh yeah. Well, I'm, I'm loving the dynamic here with you guys. This will be fun. So we're going to tell what I think is like one of the weirdest stories in the Bible with one of the weirdest but least talked about incidents uh and we'll get there in a moment so and also strangely one of the most influential stories in the bible like in a way that we don't think about it being very influential has been extremely influential so this is the story of judah um uh and his uh daughter-in-law tamar so um judah gets to a certain point in his life and the story that happens immediately before this Judah is living with his 12 brothers and his dad, Jacob, or, or Israel, um, and they're all living together in this kind of nomadic colony. So it's very close-knit family. And then they have a run-in, which is another completely weird story, where Judah's older brothers murder an entire village uh, worth of men uh, as they're recovering from their circumcisions um, and causes some weird interfamily conflict so right after that story we can tell that story another time but right after that story judah sort of is like i think i'm gonna like extricate myself from the family for a little bit and he goes down and lives in this place uh not uh, a little bit away from his family called adulam and while he's there he meets uh this guy and he marries a woman there and he has uh children so he's living in uh, adulam away from his family he uh, he marries the this daughter. Uh, we unfortunately we don't know her name. We know her father's name, which shows you sort of like what level of patriarchy we at we're at at this point in time. But he has uh, three sons. First oldest one is named Ur. Uh, second oldest is named Onan, and the third oldest is named Shelah. Now um, Ur gets to a certain age, and Judah finds him a wife, and her name is Tamar. What the Bible tells us is that Ur did evil in the sight of the Lord, so God struck him dead. Now, we're going to come back to that later, but I want you to hold. But that's the only information that we're given, is that Ur did evil in the sight of the Lord, so God struck him dead. So part of the custom then, which was relatively common, was that if you were a, a, a man who died young, it would be your brother's responsibility to 
to give children to his wife. That way the family line would be preserved. The woman would be engrafted into the family through the birthing of children. And then she would maintain her status in the family via the family line. This sounds really, really weird and uber patriarchal to us, but then it wasn't actually, it was better than some of the other systems that existed at the time. We'll just, uh, we'll just leave that at that. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying compared to some other things, it could have been worse. So Judah goes to his, his next oldest, Onan, and goes in and says, hey, you need to go have some kids with Tamar, your dead brother's wife, um, so that she's engrafted into the family. Um, but it says that Onan- Zach, what's so funny? This makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? Onan has to make sure that he knocks up his old sister-in-law. There's nothing weird about that. I just want to know, yeah. like, I just want to know when she's just like in the house, just like wiping the tears from her eyes when she gets that knock on the door and he opens up like, hey, baby. Uh. He's got like a little bouquet of flowers and some chocolate. He's like, I heard my brother's dead and I'm not even sad. (laughs) He's like, oh yeah, the diagnosis was negative, bad diagnosis. I'd like it's just like how do you how do you broach that like how do you get he's like oh I don't know yeah you know it's gotta everything's all cleared up though so uh well I'm guessing Onan didn't volunteer right because Judah had to initiate this like so at some point no my dad said (laughs) oh geez we've got like a ghost in the chat So, Tamar, my dad said that. I- <laughs> yes, oh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, I, I mean, I'm sorry. It's kind of the rules. Uh... I don't even think you're cute. I don't even like you. It's not for that. Weird for me, too. But, you know, But pretty all- common. Yeah, relatively common. Yeah, so... We don't exactly know how it goes on. And the beautiful part about Bible stories is imagining the in-between, the in-between cut scenes where it's like, excuse me? <laughs> but, um, but what we do, so Onan, but what the Bible tells us is Onan, for some reason, did not want to do this. And it says anytime that he went into Tamar, he would spill his seed on the ground. So God struck him dead as well. Now, again, hold on to that. We're going to have a conversation about spilling seed on the ground and the dynamics of that, because that is where this story becomes one of the most influential Bible stories in history. Um, so Tamar, is, Judah at this point is like, uh, okay, things Tamar aren't going that well for you as part of our family right now. And I have another son. Uh, Shala, uh, which you know, I'll pronounce Shala, not Sheila, even though it's spelt that way. It's Shala. Um, but we will, uh, he's not really probably ready for this right now. Why don't you go live as a widow in your dad's house? And then when he's old enough, I'll send him along and things will be taken care of, you know, as they are. And uh, Tamar says, Cool, and goes back and, and lives with her father's family. Now, couple of questions about this. I want to circle back to Ur before we get caught up in all of the Onan stuff. The Bible very specifically says Ur did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and was struck dead. And I would like you guys, as people who are somewhat familiar with this, 
what did Ur do that got him struck dead? Like, I just, I just gotta say, my favorite part of this is watching Zach's face as he hears an obscure Bible story for the first time <laughs> and realizing that he doesn't even know that that wasn't the weird part. <laughs> that was the setup to a punchline that has not yet occurred. <laughs> is Artie. I like the good thing, like I, I'm becoming Christian when you're older, it's like, you're like, you know, I'm just gonna skip a lot of the, I'm gonna skip yeah. a lot of the weird ones. I'm just gonna mainly focus on the big ones, yeah. hit those up and. Uh, yeah. When we would talk, it's like, you just, just go to Jesus. Like take the rest <laughs> of your life to find the fun, weird stuff, but like <laughs> don't model your life around Onan. Um. <laughs> so, but by this point in the book of Genesis, and this story takes place in the book of the Genesis, Genesis we've already seen someone kill their brother. We've already someone seen someone uh, threaten to kill uh, entire races of people and families if, if he is in any way attacked. We've already seen the entire destruction of uh, the planet by, by flooding it. We've already seen whatever happened between Noah and Ham. We've already seen uh, multiple murders. We've already seen multiple sexual assaults. We've already seen uh, multiple uh, attempted genocides. What on earth did Ur do that <laughs> was so bad that God was like, oh, you're dead. You, oh, man. Like, I don't, oh, you have crossed the line, sir. Like, you, sir, have crossed the line. And, like, yeah, I'm wondering, like, I don't know about you guys, but so, every once in a while I imagine some, like, John Wick reality where, like, he's, where, like, we had the, 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 the stereotypical angry, judgmental Old Testament God, but then Ur is like, screw this puppy, and, like, kills it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, I feel like Ur just, like, read Harry Potter or something, yeah. and then got struck dead. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, what did he do? Yeah, yeah. It was something I'm fascinated by what her like that's one of the first like top ten questions. Yeah, it seems like why would they be so specific in other places and just very vague at this <laughs> one specific juncture? Yeah. I mean I, I do feel like it's setting it up like I the a question that I was always taught to ask when you're reading um the Bible is what did the authors what were they trying to say and what weren't they trying to say? Right. And to like to enjoy what weren't they trying to say because it's fun to talk about. But to not stress about it, like oh, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a certain amount of like you tell a story, like, and then God killed him. The second guy comes, or like, there's a rule of three in this yeah, story, yeah, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> there's a setup that that is being told by the author and probably like honed over time. But these were being told around the campfire yeah, for, yeah, for yeah. generations before written down. You know, maybe thousands of years. So I, I feel like maybe at one point there was this long detour about what he did. Yeah. But then the author's like, ah, it loses momentum. He sinned, and, and I, God killed him. <laughs> And I, and I think an interesting thing about us now is like we, um, the understanding of God at that time, I think was a lot different than the one that we have right now. So like we in our culture right now, and especially as like outside observers of stories, we can't help but personalize God. Mm -hmm. And I don't think God was as personal back then to them as it is now. I think like that was a very uncertain time. There's no internet, there's no Google, there's no books, yeah. there's no anything. Nobody knows anything that's going on. So I think a lot of things were just like, I think a lot of things were just kind of like, God did that. And it's just <laughs> like, that's, that's what we're gonna go with. That is what is gonna help us move along the path here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this is almost like a God as like force of nature in parts of the Old Testament where yeah. it's just like, 
everything that happens is God. And exactly how you sort that out is, is another question, but there's the, yeah, there's this reality of like, just God's just doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's often this very like, what, what, who did that? Why did that happen? Well, okay, because it, it must be God. Like it's, it must belong somewhere else. Because it flips even in the New Testament, right? Like even the way that the, the characters in the New Testament understand God is so much different. Like people think it's like, oh, God was more angry in the Old Testament. It's like, well, no, the storytellers told the story of God that was more angry and it was different. And then the storytellers in the New Testament tell, have a different understanding of God. It's just evolved. Yeah, well, and and I think the other thing could be as simple as like, the and I think you're one hundred percent right. But I also just like the idea of like, you know, like you said, uh, Kevin, about like planning out as an oral storyteller. Like this could be your planned improv place where it's just like you start <laughs> to do like uh, you know you start to do like your 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 uh, your um, oh, I'm trying to think of there's a British guy that does it or a Stuart Lee thing where he's got. This section unwritten. It's going to be yeah. whatever comes up. Totally. And, and just wh whoever's a storyteller, he just like tells the story to like one kid who's like doing some fucked up thing all the time. And he tells him, he's like, he was struck down for evil. He fucked a lamb. Did you hear that, Jeremy? <laughs> you hear that? Yeah, he fucked a lamb. And God struck him down evil. That's part of this story. So, <laughs> but that was just like, you watch whatever you're doing out there in the field. <laughs> right. It was, a regional, right. it was a regional section of the <laughs> yeah. story. It was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He, it's stole, like when you, he stole some leaks, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it's, like, or, it's, like when, it's like when comedians, before they go up on stage, they're like, what's the, like, what's the shitty town around here? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like Brampton. But then and what I like, love... Okay. He rooted for the other cities. What, I, what I love is that... <laughs> I love that the, the, yeah, that exactly. the first one's like, yeah, maybe left open for, for the storyteller. But the second one's like, oh, you can't get better than he spilled a seat on the ground so God killed him. Like that gets canonized. They're like, put that in like the 13 year old boys love that part of the story. You can't cut that part. That's the part. <laughs> but that part of the story I think has been damaging 13 year old boys for centuries. Cause by the well, time you get to Roman Catholic inter interpretations of this story, which, and it really only shows up in the, in the, in the middle ages is that you develop onanism, which is uh, an, uh, an early synonym for masturbation where um, like, and this is definitely a huge part of the Roman Catholic tradition and probably is part of the Lutheran tradition as well, which I don't know as well, but like that, that the sin of Onan is that he was masturbating, that he was spilling his seed on the ground. Um, and that has affected certainly the last 40, 50, if not more, decades worth of what is purity culture, has been come to known as purity culture, right? Um, the only problem is, with that is like i when you actually read the story that's not what it sounds like it doesn't sound like onan was off on his own in his own tent you know having his own thing going on like it's whenever he went into her he would deliberately spill his seed on the ground right yeah this guy's this guy's jerking off in the neighborhood <laughs> He's dropping his seed out like in front of the corner store. <laughs> no, he's pulling out. He's pulling out. Yeah, oh! doing a, he's doing the pull up method. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing, he's doing a method people have done for a very long time to avoid uh, taking responsibility before they want to. Before your actions, yeah. I finally have a new favorite character in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. It was Jesus so up until this point. Now it's this guy. <laughs> now it's so <laughs> The man, the we you really buried the lead, the guy who invented pulling out. 
I think that should have been a, That's Zach, a is, much stronger character in the Bible. I feel like that could be someone's life verse. Like, just get that <laughs> on your back. Like, oh, Genesis, uh, Genesis what is it, 28? Yeah. We have What's like, that about? Duval Kane, the inventor of working in bronze. And then we have like, Conan. <laughs> I mean, That's yeah, it's, it's, it's a prime example, though, of people reading the Bible without going back to the culture that it's in, like, which is, is difficult. Like, these stories are difficult because you're time traveling to read them, you know? Like, yeah. you've got to go back to that place, and that requires knowing stuff about culture and context. So if you skim read it from a yeah. surface level, or you look for the theological implication of every sentence, then, yeah, you're going to try to squeeze this into your kind of issues of the day. I completely agree to... with you there, though, because like I oh, remember maybe I'm wrong. Play. I remember being 18 years old, and I took a class called uh, "Theories of Sex and Sexuality" at UPEI, um, and the professor like grew up nominally Catholic and talked about this story as being like, and this is why the Bible says masturbation is wrong. And he actually read out the story, and then in, in the in the verse that it was in, and I remember like I like, and I was 18, and uh the only thing i knew about was the bible like your average like like i grew up evangelical like bible study awana christian school kid and your average like christian school kid awana kid knows more about the bible than your average like mainline pastor often like just in terms of like i was drilled to have massive chunks memorized massive like bible study exams like knew all of the information i knew maps you know and I remember, and I knew this story, and I was just like, that doesn't sound like that at all. And when you actually, and, and so I, with this, like, my small group, because we were supposed to go and get into, like, small groups in the university class and talk about it. So they're not Christian at all, but I'm just like, actually read the story. Does that sound like he's jerking off? And they're like, no, that doesn't sound like that at all. That sounds like he's pulling out. And, which I find really, like, the most basic reading of this story, I think, takes it away from that entirely, right? Right, yeah, actually what I meant, yeah, I, I meant to say more of the context of like having to get your your, um, your brother's wife pregnant, like a right. lot of the context of responsibility, yes, family yes. ownership, security, and safety for women in the ancient Near Eastern world. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, even if, you just, if you're not trying yeah. to shove a theological interpretation, what does it say to me right now? It's like, it's not all about you. Like, you know, there's such a Western, whatever, who am I to fight with the Pope? I'm not the Pope. Maybe he's right, but from my perspective in downtown Hamilton, it just yeah. seems like don't you don't need to squeeze a theological application out of every sentence. Yeah, a guy can just a guy can just, <laughs> can just you know pull out, and that is part of the story. Yeah, so, or you don't need to like a specific individual like, uh, and then universally applied too. That's like, the other thing, right? Because what we what's happened is they've they've taken this thing to universally apply that like that masturbation is wrong or even the pulling out is wrong right where it's like or but rather not enveloping and taking care of this woman who is vulnerable maybe that was what was wrong yeah yeah what totally. we choose to particularize is, is very telling of what we value yeah culturally because you're there is a going to so be true there is going to be a recurring theme of this in the next part of the story because God strikes Onan dead uh, for spilling his seed on the ground. Now, what is the sin of spilling his seed on the ground? I think that the second half of the story in some ways explains to us what that actually was. Um, 
because what the Bible says is that a very long period of time goes by and, and Judah's wife dies and his kids are getting older and he's a, a, lo a lonelier man. And uh, he says to his, his people, he's like, I'm going to take my sheep on the road to Timrah and I'm going to get them sheared. And what you seem to infer as we go is that what happens in Timrah stays in Timrah. <laughs> and so he goes there and, and, and he's on his way. And then, uh, and then Tamar, his daughter-in-law, who's been sent back to, to live with her, um, uh, with her own father, she's doing the math in her head that like she, Shelah is old enough now that, that if things are going the way they ought to, according to the custom of this place, that he ought to be, you know, she ought to be brought back into the family at this point in time. So she goes to check things out with Judah as he's going on the road to Timron. But rather than just going and speaking to him and confronting him directly, she uh, gets out of her mourning clothes and she, uh, M-O-U-R-N mourning clothes. Sorry, <laughs> like not just like <laughs> the pajamas we all wear <laughs> before the day starts. I'm um, glad she did because listen, you don't want to... <laughs> be messing around with anybody in mourning clothes. Yeah, yeah. It's also like, has she been wearing them for 20 years? Like, <laughs> women weren't allowed to get over it back then because they just had to wait until the little, until the little brother grew up. She's just mourning forever. Well, and that, that part probably was true, but I'm also just thinking in pandemic time, if you want to wear your mourning clothes all day till you change into your nighttime clothes, like, that's fine. You're fine. <laughs> we have it's a also kids like that. Yeah. <laughs> also, the hilarious thing about morning clothes, like the fact that she has to like take her morning clothes off because she's like, you know, ready to go. It's like the second she starts walking through the neighborhood, not in her morning clothes, people are like, all right, well, I guess she's ready to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> all the guys outside. Everybody that's going through town is just like, well, we know that story. Yeah, all the all the guys outside the LCBO with their shit going like, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's me. I think yeah, Tamar's yeah. back in the market, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got group a chat. Group chats are firing <laughs> off. She's out. She's ready. She's ready. <laughs> so, but so she goes down. And she waits by the side of the. So she changes out of her morning clothes. She gets up. She puts on a veil and she goes and she waits by uh, the side of the road where uh, Judah is going to be walking by uh, to get a sheep shear. Uh, and and when Judah go sees her, he goes up to her and says like, "Hey, why don't you come have sex with me?" And she says, "Well, what will you give me?" And remember, she's veiled up, so he can't see her face. And he's like, "I'll give you a goat." And she's like, "Okay, where's the goat?" And he's like, "I don't have the goat here right now." And he's like, "She's like, well, can, what will you give me in pledge?" And he's like, "What do you want?" And she says, "Well, give me your staff, like his walking staff, very personal thing. Your signet cord, which is cord wrapped around the staff, and your stamp, which would have been like the legal thing that you did to put wax on things. Even then, that was a way of like documenting that, hey, this was me. I made a deal or whatever, right?" So he he says, "Okay, you can have all those things. Goat's coming back later. Let's go have sex." So they go have sex. Um. Uh, they and then Judah leaves, gets a sheep sheared, and goes back home. And then he does. He, Judah's not a completely awful person. <laughs> he sends the guy with the goat. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, he sends the guy with the goat to be like, "Hey, go give this to the the shrine prostitute who's on the side of the road on the way to Timber." And the guy goes, and he's like, "There's no shrine prostitute there." So he starts asking around. He's like, "Hey, 
Does anybody know where that prostitute was? Like some one of my buddies owed her a goat and she's got a thing. <laughs> and everybody's like, we don't know anything about this prostitute that you're talking about. So he goes back and he's like, hey, Judah, what do you want me to do with this goat? Like nobody knows who you're talking about. And, he, and Judah's like, well, just come back. She can keep the staff and the cord and everything. Like, I guess I'm just going to be, okay, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to look bad. Right. So, Which is just a hilarious image of this guy, this servant just walking around with a goat being like, where's that prostitute? For like a day. <laughs> yeah, and they're yeah. like, everyone, everyone's like, what prostitute? He's like, you're not the one by the shrine. Yeah. And just like, he's like, oh, I thought this would be a 10 minute job. Like, yeah. I'm here yeah. all day. If I come back with this goat, he's going to be so mad. <laughs> interesting is the like, uh, the, and only the, the handing of the, the staff over makes this okay. Because if there wasn't that staff, he would have been like, well, you just take this goat. And if you see her, give it to her. But like, I'm done here, right? Like that's mm. that's the way that this thing goes. So so that's all fine. And then for a, about three months, and then the Bible says that three months later, Judah gets word from his father, from, from Tamar's father-in-law, that like she's dishonored herself. She's now pregnant. So Judah is like, well, this is uncalled for. Bring her out and burn her. Right, that's Judah's way to answer the problem. So, um, so the father-in-law is like, "Well, you take care of it." He sends Tamar along. Um, and Tamar says word to him that, "Well, actually, I'm pregnant by the man who gave me this staff and cord and signet ring." Yeah, and good move. Oh yeah, yeah. Good move. That's called a bait. Yeah, she yeah. baited him hard. Oh, but the Bible, like that is actually an Old Testament theme. The Bible nails those dramatic irony moments where like mm -hmm. we know something that the characters don't. Like it's mm -hmm. weird how people talk about that beginning in Shakespeare. And I'm like, no, Shakespeare stole that from Genesis. Like this has been <laughs> for, for sure. a lot longer than that. Like a, like a 9,000 year run on him. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like ancient people sitting around. Yeah nailing this stuff yeah well and you know that like ancient people in the same way that we just did were all like ooh, <laughs> at a jerry springer show but even more so because they didn't have any other stories they had like only fire stories yeah 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 i'll say ooh, and we have the internet this was this was their tiger king <laughs> yeah, but like but it was they only got one every like generation they got one more story like they were like tamar's dead now we can tell the story. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. We've got a new one. Everybody's lining up at midnight, waiting. It's like end game every year. Yeah, no, yeah, every yeah. lifetime. Oh, this is another one from the Abraham universe. This is yeah, like really good. <laughs> I love Completely. the Abraham stories. So totally. Um, but yeah, so Judah... And, the, and like and the, the succinct way that Bible stories end, I love the way that this, they do this. So Judah is like, "Oh, yeah, she's more righteous than me because I was I should have let the youngest sleep with her, and I didn't." Which is so like, duh. <laughs> Nobody like that's like that's like like that doesn't get you off the hook, man. Yeah. That's, that's like, I don't even know if I want to, it was like when Kevin Spacey sexually assaulted all those people and he was like, also I'm gay. Yeah. And you were like, no, <laughs> totally that other thing. That doesn't totally. make it okay. Yeah, yeah, he's like, oh, she's really a good person. It's like, yeah, <laughs> and you still did a horrible thing. Yeah. Like, it doesn't well, let you Kevin's off the hook just because she's a good person. 
That Kevin Spacey one was so weird because I felt like everybody in North America was like, didn't he already do that? Like, didn't he already do that? <laughs> it doesn't work like that, man. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> that doesn't make it okay. You know? No. Well, yeah. yeah, everybody, like that happened and just like America was like, it was like, everybody's gay, man. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why you're bringing that up. We're all gay. Now. Well, well, and even it's like I remember when Ricky Martin came out, and everybody was like, <laughs> and, like, and I mean, it, it would seem like it was obviously an emotional deal for him. Like, and I yeah. mean, yeah, as part of his culture, so I don't want to take that away from him. But I feel like there was a good chunk of us that were like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did I did I get a memo that no one else got? Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It really, it really sets up the per, the character of Judah. You're like, okay, so this guy, even when he's busted in the most extreme way, like sends off like a formal apology letter that like a PR department made for him. Yeah. yeah. Like, he really like like oh my daughter in law that I knocked up thinking she was a temple prostitute and then I tried to hide it. Yeah. She's a great person. And then you're like, okay, that's the kind of guy we're dealing with here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well, but he's not that unusual. It's the same kind of way that somebody now would like get caught doing something and being like. This has been a learning experience, and I hope Completely. that I will learn yeah. from this and become a better person in the future. Send yeah. and be like, I never have to talk about this again, right? Yeah, you know, and and then like then you make a six episode documentary series on Netflix about how you don't want to talk about the thing that you know everybody's <laughs> to talk about. Um, the surviving Judah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's so what it. What is this story supposed to mean or tell us? Okay, well, 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 so there's two one only there's two more pieces of information that I think can maybe help us. One, uh, she has uh, she she ends up having twins. One is named uh, Perez, and one is named Terza. Um, there's another repetition of where like the there's sort of a competition between the two of them and how they were born. Like one of the twins is supposed to come out first, but then doesn't. Seems Zach, like, you'll love this. The one twin sticks his hand yeah. out of his mother. They tie a cord on it, and then he goes, and he just he goes back in. <laughs> and then the other one is oh, born yeah. first. <laughs> so you're like, you're like, like that. That's that's great. He's like, I'm not gonna win the fight, but I can get my arm out first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like 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 the Undertaker after a wrestling <laughs> match. That's what he did. But it really just causes a legal conundrum of like, but like, does that count as coming out first? You know, like, I don't know. Because there's like, money tied to, to a good question. Out, you, know? you know, like, is it, it also like, photo finish? like that, that really does kind of fit, like the whole, that whole like structure of like, who's the firstborn and who gets the most is messed up. Come yeah, on. Man. I mean, I don't know if I've got any better suggestions. I'm pretty, I feel sometimes like, yeah, I guess whoever's first. Like, yeah. it's kind of, something kind of animalistic and simple about it all. Yeah. And then. There's three ways. I got three kids. I mean, I'm the oldest, so I'm just in defense of this way of being. Yeah. So, but the only other, so this is the end of Tamar. We don't really hear about her very much again, except for um, in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, this is the the big reveal. Like Drop if you're going to do like the last episode of Serial, this would be it. It would be like she's included in the genealogy of Jesus, along with Rahab and along with Ruth and along with Delilah. I I'm, I might have an extra one in there, but she Tamar is definitely included in there. I get them confused sometimes, but I I don't think Ruth is in there. I think it's Delilah and uh, Rahab and Tamar 
Or, There's one guy listening right now who's like, thank goodness he went back to correct it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gonna pull your credentials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh no, I'm gonna get my Bible college degree taken away. <laughs> but you're, but so that's the, and but I mean, is that a reveal? And I think that Zach, you're asking the same question that we're asking that that I want to ask now. That that's the point of the show. Is like, so what is the point of the story? Why, what, why did they include it? Other than to be like, well, this is a weird thing that happened, you know, like, and Judah is imperfect. Like, what is the intention of including this story in your book, right? Yeah. Kevin? <laughs> I'm like, now I'll just preach an entire sermon. Because I know, I know Kevin's, because I, I, one thing I always wonder about pastors is just like, it's just like, do you ever just like, you ever just like, you're like, oh God, this one again. All right. Yeah. Like, like, it's just like, what else are you going to say? You know what I mean? It's like, there's one for everyone. Yeah. And, all the, and we've covered the whole book. It's, it's yeah. that we, we do a book report every Sunday on the same book every week. <laughs> and yeah. still sometimes they're not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never heard this one. Hi, Kevin, what, is, what does this mean? No, I want, I want, I want you to take a swing at it first, because like you we, want me to take a swing at it. Yeah, because the reality is like we, Kevin and I, come at, at this with layers and layers of education. Oh yeah, which is sometimes layers of baggage. So much. You guys baggage. know the, you guys know the bit that goes along with this story. But we might not. But the reality is that's not, in my experience, that's not actually helpful. Sometimes, sometimes you need to unlearn a bunch of stuff to actually hear something new in the story, right? So yeah, like. What, what I, I genuinely want to hear you take your swing first. Like, is there anything redeeming in this story? And, I, and there's a couple of things just because I've had time to think about it and you haven't that I do want to point out. I think that this, the back half of the story answers to us what the sin of Onan really was, right? The sin of, like, because it's basically Judah does to Tamar what Onan did to Tamar in a different way, right? It was like, I'm trying to take from you without having to to, uh, to accept any of the responsibility of that. That's what he tries to get away with, right? So uh, I think that that helps. But beyond that, like, even so, is that what you want to say? Like, is that what the point of the story is? I think it, it feels weird. Yeah, I honestly, I, this, I am like, you know, big fan of the Bible, love the stories. This one just really just doesn't do anything for me. I have no... It gives me no feeling. I don't really know what to take away from this. It seems just like everybody was just making a lot of mistakes. I guess the one takeaway I have maybe is like the, um, uh, sorry, what's the woman's name again? Tamar. Tamar. Uh, I respect Tamar. I think she is out there hustling. Yeah. And yeah. that is the big takeaway for me is just like, Tamar is like, listen, I'm in this broken ass system. All this, I got to fuck everybody's brother when my husband died, which is yeah. horrible. Yeah. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to not be taken down by this. So she goes and like, she's in disguises and she's <laughs> taking stamps. Like that's so smart because she's like, well, I got this guy stamp. I'm going to be safe from everything. She's got the staff. She's all set. She's good to go. So I mean, I respect her ingenuity, and I think that she did a great yeah. job making the best out of a bad situation. That's my biggest – that's all I got. Yeah, she knows she's going to have to hustle him a little bit because when he, like, offers to have sex with her, she's not like, no. She's just like, well, what do you give me? Right? Like, under, it, under, that, was that was an amazing move by her. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. And, 
She has so she has so little leverage in this society. She yeah, has yeah. got she knows she's got one move in her back pocket, and she's like, "This is gonna be the thing that saves me." And she 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 pulls it out in a way that that I mean that was is just amazing. Yeah, there's there's an interesting parallel to like even even moments we're in right now. That is, if you shove people into uh, the corner, they will find incredibly resourceful ways to fight back. Totally. Um, which, which may even be unethical ways, you know, ways that would have broken um, God's own laws that come in later. Obviously, they didn't have that in Genesis, yeah. but, you know, that, that, that are like morally suspect, but within this broken system, she'll do what she has to do to survive. And that she's named in that genealogy in Matthew does this amazing thing of validating her struggle, you know, okay. and validating the messy gray that can happen in a broken system. You know, if, if you had just said, hey, you can be my daughter and, and receive inheritance, even though you don't have a kid. Um, because God killed my kids, you know, like if they had just been like, Hey, we're going to take care of each other. She wouldn't have had to do any of this, but no. by sending him away by, by thinking she's haunted, which I just love. He's like, I can't give her my third kid. Like she's, <laughs> she's a haunted house. I can't yeah, let yeah, him yeah. get all, all up in there. Like I, she, he's going to die. Yeah, you know, yeah. it, it, he treats her like an object. Which, he treats I mean, obviously I mean, her. That's, fault, that's, but not that's, that's fair. That's fair. I'm not going to fault him for thinking that, you know what I mean? <laughs> But like, but like how, how, I mean, just, this is off your Fool me once, uh, shame on you. <laughs> Fool me a third time. <laughs> Give me my boy back, my baby boy. Um, but there's, I mean, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone here first. I like that you did Zach, Cause I think it's a, it's an interesting angle, which is like the blaming of victims also that she is, has been made a victim here of, of cruel, of men who are, who are failing to do what's right. Who knows what that is, but it's not good. Um, no. They're failing to do what's right. She's made a victim as an innocent party, and yet she's punished for doing nothing wrong because of the patriarchal world she lives in, because of the corruption of the men that are around her, and because they're plenty happy to keep what's theirs and cast out the other one. And, and Jesus and does the opposite. So she's Jesus' great, 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 great grandma. And that's what that's what's crazy about it, right? Is like all jokes aside, like you know, I'm being crass for no reason, but it's like the the fact that this woman her husband dies and then it's just like it's like you gotta you gotta start like hustling sex out there lady otherwise your life is ruined like you gotta move on like all you are is just a receptacle for somebody else to have babies inside of and that's your entire identity and now we're just gonna pass you along the line like some sort of piece of meat and the fact that she figures out a way outside of that and figures out a way to subvert that i think it is really impressive and it is Jesus, like that's his whole thing, right? Yeah. He goes into the broken system. He goes into the, the places where you're not supposed to be. And he like figures out a way to subvert the rules. And it's, it's interesting that God's almost absent in the story, except there's a validation of who she is, which in some sense is, and certainly by the time of the New Testament, you know, an oral tradition. And then also like a final word on that. She's where God is. Like in this weird way, God is present with her, who is the most unlikely of, of characters for him to be present with. Yeah. And none of it is a mistake, right? It's all included on purpose. Like this story totally. and the fact that she's in the genealogy, those are, that's on purpose. It's saying something. Yeah, yeah. I, and I was just want to echo what you were saying. Yeah, this is an intentional, there's lots of stories that only get told once. You know, in this show, I've told lots of messed up stories that only get told once. This one is twice, right? Like this is some, like not only did the original editors, whatever we want to do it, you know, inspirers, however you, whatever you want to believe about that, whatever word makes you feel good at night, 
it was chosen once and then it was chosen again right so i do think it's important for us to recognize that like oh no this story they they intended this story to be told which is interesting because like this story wasn't really told in my church i don't think it's told in that many churches other than like when we're going backwards the occasional pastor might get really edgy and be like i'm gonna do a lady sermon and I'm going to tell all three stories of all three women in one sermon, and never talk about ladies again, you know, like that. <laughs> Enjoy your sermon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's Mother's Day. Happy yeah. Mother's Day. <laughs> Make sure that you finish inside of your partner. Happy Mother's Day. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> He's got a carnation on the way out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think what's interesting is like, what I love about the story is like the way you tell it, it does start to sound like a heist movie. Like if you yeah, totally the right soundtrack, it starts to sound like, dun, 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 you know, like, because it is, we're getting money up under you. It is, you know, yeah. like figuring out. Oh, it's, it's Hustlers. Have you guys seen the movie Hustlers? I haven't seen the movie Hustlers yet. There, yeah. There's a real parallel with what's in that movie. I mean, we don't have to deter the whole conversation, but worth a watch. Yeah. But it's just, it's amazing that it's her last resort. It's the, it's the, the thing that they had been commodifying the whole time. She commodif- com- commodified for herself. I don't know if that's the right word, but that she, she did it. She flipped it on them. Yeah. And there's not that many stories. Well, one, the most of what the, mostly women are just ignored in the Bible for the most part, right? Like they, they're just not included. But it's fascinating in this and in a couple other stories, like, easily the biggest flaw of the bible by the way yeah 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 you know um and but in this story specifically she's the hero of the story you know she's the protagonist she's the one who takes the action she's the one who who dictates what happens and she's like and even is commemorating even though as lame uh, 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 uh an apology tweet as it is like Judah does say, well, she's more righteous than me, you know, like given the situation, you know, like she's more righteous than me. And I just think that that's this really interesting dynamic that is created in this story um, where, you know, like the, especially like as a pastor in like the Mother's Day sermon, we were just talking about it where it's just like, let's talk about Ruth. Let's talk about the Proverbs 31 woman. And it's just like, well, maybe we should be talking about Tamar. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's an interesting trend that like, of course the Bible's patriarchal because the world was patriarchal right. and still is patriarchal. Um, so it shouldn't surprise us. What should surprise us is that these stories are hidden in there. Right. And that when women show up, especially women who are oppressed, women who are overlooked, they become the ones who are grafted into Jesus's story or the ones who are actually his great, 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 great grandmothers. Yeah. So there's a sub, the Bible is almost subverting the idea of a holy book in yeah. some of its stories. Um, it's like intentionally subverting the, the very concept of what would have been respected at the time. Sorry, jump in Teddy. No, that's fine. Uh, that, but I mean, especially <clears throat> because like, Tamar is more righteous because she's holding them to what they're supposed to do. She's, she's tweaking the system, being like, um, like sly or shrewd or, you know, to, you know, cause it's like, well, you know what, if he, he's supposed to take care of me, that's the deal here. This dude's supposed to take care of me and he didn't. And I, I, I got the tweet that he, where he was headed and you know, so like I, I know the business, right? And I know how it's supposed to go and and I'll make it happen, right? So 
and that like that's what was supposed to happen like and and the reason it's like th that i find this so fascinating that where why it sits in in the story still is that the reason that onan and that judah are bad in this story is that they don't care about what god cares about they don't care about taking care of the people who are on the fringes who can't necessarily take care of themselves according to society oh did she freeze up on the rest of you or did you all just freeze up on me yeah. like a part of the story with with God, right? Because yeah. it's not the first time that it, maybe it's, maybe it is the first time, I don't know, where it's just like care. But that's part of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. There's and it's like, it's like interesting how they have like the, there's kind of like, if so, you have the guy who's pulling out uh, and then to, it kind of makes sense now that that's involved in the story because it's like, this guy is, shirking his responsibilities at the same time he's a part of this line of people that are so adherent to the policies and the structures and the procedures of this time and it's like whenever it's convenient for them they're willing to take advantage of it and then that's what tamar does right she says oh oh now things are not convenient for you and you have to do the things that you were supposed to do the whole time and i've used what you've been using to hold me under this oppression against you yeah yeah, if you're going to set up these rules, I like what you what you were saying there, Teddy. Like, if you're going to set up these rules, I'm at least going to make you follow them. And yeah. if you and if you don't follow them, I'm going to be the one that exposes how, when it's convenient, you'll go to a prostitute, but then you'll get mad that your old daughter-in-law is prostituting, yeah. right? Like, like I will call you out on your own hypocrisy, which is like a very standard biblical theme of God judging us by our own judgment of others, um, you know, or by our own. Uh, ways that we will shirk the system, we then are exposed, which I think even fits in, I, I don't know if you want to get into this, but where this story fits in the broader story it's encased in, because um, I believe this is what, chapter 30, yeah, 38, is set into the narrative of Joseph. Right. And it's just dropped in one chapter from a different, likely a different tradition, but the storyteller puts it there for a reason. And I think that is its own what is this text even doing here? Why is there a one chapter story about all this weird sex and semen stuff? And yeah. then it moves right back into Joseph was in jail. Like, right. it's like, huh? Um, but it functions almost like a flashback episode. Like, um, I was trying to think of an example earlier because I just reread the text 20 minutes before we got together to try to remember it all. And then the only example I could think of, and uh, it's from a guy who's dead now, is from a early season of Louie when there was the, <laughs> that's a Dave Chappelle bit. But um, I, I think Atlanta did it recently too, but there was an episode in Louie um, where, and I watched it before I knew he was, he was um, the devil. Nobody, but, nobody knew then, yeah. No, we didn't know. But there was an episode I mean, where he had- um, us, But whatever. Right. Yeah. There's an episode where they had a flashback to him in middle school smoking weed for the first time. Yeah. And um, there's an episode, I think in Atlanta season two, I haven't gotten there yet, but I was kind of Googling to try to see and it's this story that in some ways seems completely unrelated from the stakes that we've established, but it's placed there as a flashback or as a flash sideways to explain what's going to happen symbolically. And so I think this story is not, like, I think Tamar's story is in this story, but Judah has his own arc across the end of Genesis that this entirely sets up, like a show saying, here's Judah, 
And now we're going to flashback how to get this way. Because right before this, Judas sells his brother, Joseph, into, into slavery. And they're going to murder him because they all don't like him because Joseph is like a kind of a cocky guy who says, <laughs> Zach, I don't know if you know this part of Judah, of Joseph. Joseph like goes to his 12 brothers. He's like, or his 11 brothers, I guess there's 12 in total. Brothers, but um, his 11 brothers is like, guys, I had the weirdest dream. I dreamed that you were all stars and mom and dad were a sun and a moon. And then you all bowed to me. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that a weird what do you think it means yeah. and then he does it again he's like that's amazing dream that we were then all sheaves of wheat and he tells he, it again you guys bowed down to me again isn't that so then, weird i had it twice crazy i keep so having then, this dream to, to yeah. kind of set this up i don't know if, do you want to go there dan i don't want to hijack the show i just think it's it makes judah's character so much more lovable and redeemed yeah. is that Judah is the one when they say, let's just throw him in a ditch and kill him. Judah's like, no, no, why would we kill our brother? Um, let's throw, let's sell him. You know, we can make money instead of killing this, this idiot. Let's, let's make money off it. And it's Judah's idea. And then after they sell him, they take his cloak, which is the, the fabulous cloak, and they cover it with ram's blood. Technicolor dream coat. It was technicolored. That's yeah. in the Bible. Mm. Yeah. And they <laughs> take it to their father, Judah, and they say, uh, he's been killed by a wild animal. And his dad's crying and weeping because yeah. he's been deceived by a piece of clothing. Yeah. So then there's a flashback or flash. It's, it's a flash forward, but it's a totally different story of yeah. Judah, who is the one who did the deceiving with clothing, being deceived by a woman and her clothing. Yeah. And being deceived by his own clothing and objects being left. So you're like instantly going like, ooh, what are they doing here? Like, this is a great episode of the yeah. show. But the season of the show will actually make it even more relevant. Um, and so Judah, yeah. after that, ends up in this whole situation where he is played by his own air and weakness. And as the story goes on, he becomes more and more responsible. Then he meets Joseph, his brother, who he sold into slavery. He meets his brother in Egypt when they need food from Egypt. And his brother deceives him by dressing up like royalty. So there's a third time now where a piece of clothing is used in deception. First, Judah deceives with clothing, and then twice he's deceived by clothing. Um, and then the, the final kind of kick on this is that they keep going to this guy they don't know is their brother in Egypt, trying to get food for their family. And the one time he says, if you're going to go, you've got to leave with me the youngest brother in your family. And Joseph was the youngest brother, but he says, you got to leave with me now. The one who's one older than me, my biological brother, has to stay here. And Judah, knowing that this will kill his father, the idea that he might never see his second youngest son again after losing his youngest son, Joseph, he ends up saying, Judah says, no, don't send him. Keep me here. Like, like keep me as ransom. I'll give my life in exchange for my, my younger brother's life. And this, so there's this beautiful, like, early in his story, He's deceptive and he's arrogant and he's willing to use others for his own gain. But by the end of the story, he's willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of his own brother. And that's the action that breaks through Joseph's deceptions. And he starts to weep, seeing that his brother's being transformed by walking through all this suffering. So I, I think that that's like this beautiful, if you had a season arc, the episode arc of Tamar is like the best episode in this season. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of its own one-off. But the characters in it by the end end up having all these other transformations that you don't get without that beautiful detour yeah. into this that story. This is Preach, a, Gabby. There we bro, go. Break it down. Bro, ain't that a good uh, one, though? This, like season <laughs> this guy, this guy, that's what took me off the streets and into the church, baby. <laughs> <laughs> this, 
but yeah, Joseph is like season three of Patriarchs, HBO, if you want to do Patriarchs. Oh. You we could make it. such a good show, but no Christians would watch it. No, no, no. But yeah, <laughs> HBO, like Game of Thrones, it's a biblical epic. There's lots of nudity and murder. Mm-hmm. You, like, oh. you could crush it. It's so long overdue. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting, too, is that, like, Judah's transformation, you know, the the Judah-Joseph contrast of, like, and, and now Kevin and I are boring out playing, like, pastoral insight. Contest. You got one more bit each, and then we'll but, move but, back yeah, to Yeah, where it's just like we're trying to one up each other now. But <laughs> actually, <laughs> where Joseph is is like, what matters? Being actually being righteous or looking like you're righteous? You know, mm. and for all of his life to this point, Judah has um, looked like he's righteous. You know, like because he's, and that's ultimately Onan's thing. He's go, I'm going in. I don't know what's going on, guys. Must be something defective in her, right? Like. And, and Judah's like, I'm going to go to Timra and things will happen in Timra, you know, and I'll send you a goat later and, and stop looking because like I, people start to, you know, whereas, you know, Joseph, like not only is he sold by his brothers, he goes to jail for multiple years. He, he sell, he gets sold out in jail for more time. Like it's, it's like the contrast of like, what's more important to actually be a person of integrity and to appear as if you are a person of integrity. And I think that that's ultimately going to be my answer to the question that we always end the show with, which is, should we toss this story, tame this story, turn it up? I think I know where we're going to go, but for me, it's turn it up because one of the most important things that we could be doing right now is asking ourselves the question, what is more important to look righteous and, or to be righteous. And I think in our social media driven age, even outside the past two weeks of incidents, it is more important than ever that we make a decision about what is more, what is important, looking righteous or being righteous. Because the reality is, if we are righteous, if we do the right thing, it's going to look and sound like the wrong thing to a big group of people. And we're just going to have to make the decision that we're, unco- that we're okay with that. That, that as, com- as uncomfortable as that may be, we're going to tell the truth about a given situation, you know? So... And, and we have lots of people who are willing to lie to our faces about their own righteous while displaying none of it. Like, you know, and I mean, I don't want to get overly political because I, I said that I didn't want to talk about any politics that had happened in the last 1900 years on this show, just because <laughs> not what I want to spend my time talking about. But like Donald Trump is out there in front of a Bible, a church that he tear gassed his way to with taking a picture with a Bible that he doesn't look like, let alone hold a Bible. The man looks like he's never held a book before. Like it looked like he was unfamiliar with the concept of books and how to hold them. And, and yet I know personally lots of people who would try and tell me that this is the Lord's anointed. So part of me is like, I want to crank this story up loud to demonstrate that there, even then, there is a massive disconnect between looking like you are righteous and actually being righteous. And God sees it and punishes those who, who think that they're getting away with stuff. So that's my kind of rant for this week. I don't know. What, what do you well, guys think? Toss well, I, 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 agree. I just want to say I agree with that. I, I agree with the turn it up. Let's turn it up as well. And I think even it 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 appeals more directly to what's happened in the last couple of weeks what you're talking about the idea of being righteous as uh, as opposed to appearing righteous and i know for me like 
I, um, my whole life, I've, uh, the main thing I've done is consume black culture, right? Like that's my podcast is, uh, I talk about football, I talk about basketball, I talk about rap music. Those are things that are predominantly from black people. And I have definitely appeared righteous in that uh, aspect of my life because I've always, I've been celebrating black people, I've been celebrating black art, I've been doing all the right things, saying all the right things. But in this last couple of weeks, I've realized in a lot of ways that I'm not actually being righteous because there's so many things that I'm afraid of. Um, I have black friends and there's questions that I'm afraid to ask them. There are, I, I have this horrible thing where when I'm around uh, my black friends, I, I have this fear because I don't want to offend them because I don't want to say something racist because I don't want to appear like I don't actually know what's going on that I hold back from those relationships that I, that I don't ask the questions that I need to learn to become the best ally that I can be, to be as little, as least racist as I can be. And that's, that's something where, even just a better friend, like it doesn't even, that's a, you know, like exactly on such a micro level, it's a better friend, right? Like I, my relationships maybe are not as close because there's this barrier that I'm holding up between me and these people that I love and who are really close people in my life. And I don't understand their experience because I don't want to expose myself as somebody who doesn't know everything about being an ally or what it, what it is to be a black person in North America. And it's like, yeah. it's like this period has made me realize that it's like, I have to be uncomfortable. I have to ask awkward questions. I have to say things that are going to hurt people's feelings unintentionally so that I can actually learn how to have real love and empathy towards human beings in the world. And I have to not be afraid of those things. Mm. Yeah. That, I mean, that is just it. It's the pride. And we've seen this in so many different areas. It's the pride of like, having to come across like you have it all together or you know all the things that is so much of a barrier and makes you the biggest dick. Like totally. it, when you approach things from a place of humility and a place of like acknowledgement of what you don't know, it's just so much e- like in all, like in all the things, just all the things that it's just so much easier to to teach a person who's willing to say, I don't know all the things and people are so much more willing to accept you. And, and maybe that's less true than, than I think it is, but. Well, one of the coolest things that I've seen like in the wake of all the protests and in the wake of George Floyd is like, there have been a lot of black people I've seen online that are saying like, like my white friends, my white brothers and sisters be awkward. Like, like do like make a mistake. It's okay. Like we just want you to try like, don't don't hide behind your cushy corporate statements. Don't hide around behind having a black picture on your thing. Actually try and understand things and we'll forgive you if you're like weird. Like I saw, I saw like I was watching a TikTok and uh, it was like a black guy and he's like, never in my life have I just had more white people just like awkwardly head nodding me on the street <laughs> to like <laughs> let them know that they're in solidarity with me. And there's a lot of like white people in the comments being like, I'm sorry. I don't know if that's awkward. I don't know what to do. And he's like, no, it's fine. We appreciate it. Thank you for trying. We're going to figure it out together. And I think that's sort of the idea. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. I think it's, it's a thing that like social media, I don't know if social media is okay with mistakes. Like I, I think it, I don't think that's the, your best place to be vulnerable. <laughs> right. I don't know if it's for your sure. best place to, to be. Um, sure. But 
I know that my friend, I've never had a conversation with somebody when I'm failing to be as righteous as I should be. Like when I'm failing to do not only like what is right, but what I know is right. And I'm failing still. I've never had a conversation with someone where I confess that. And then they throw it in my face. Right. Like it is always being grace. Now online, you could get ruined. So I don't know, maybe keep your head down, but you know, but then just be online less and be with people more. Not that we can be with anyone right now, but even call your friends. Like, People, people have a capacity to be gracious when you, like it, it strikes me that no one in this story is righteous. Right. Like Tamar is more righteous than, than Judah, but even she has to, to deceive and, and you know, maybe, she's, maybe it's necessity, but I, I think that she's not even painted as a perfect person. I think it makes her more interesting that she's yeah. not because who is the fully righteous person, right? Like um, the, the Christ, like Christ becomes that, that archetype, that full characterization of that. But every human in the in the book and in Genesis, every person is a person. Um, and I think we don't know what to do in the Bible when people are people and they hurt each other and deceive each other and make mistakes and grow better and then make the same mistakes again. Yeah. But, you know, it seems like in this story, you know, on the turn it up is like, you don't have to be righteous. You just have to be honest, yeah. you know, you, and you have to do what's put before you. And what be, what is put before you might be difficult. You don't have to be perfect at it. You just have to to want to do what is what is right and be honest that you fail at it. Like that's seems to be all this story is really pushing us for. And I mean, I think that's the, like, I think that's the funnest thing about this story and others. Like even when you're, we're looking at the story of like Rahab and you know, that the stereotypical, like, you know, Virgin Mary kind of like perfectionism that that is sort of upheld as like being this lovely, you know, little woman is not upheld throughout the Old Testament. That you have to, that scrappiness is, is a value, right? And, and, and getting it, and she gets a pass for not, like, for posing as a prostitute, right? Like, not just she, posing. Like, <laughs> right. She really committed to the thing. <laughs> she totally committed to that role. Yeah. She just was a prostitute. Yeah. Even even Mary, who is you know seen as now this this docile, doe-eyed lady, finds out she's pregnant with the Son of God, and she sings about a revolution and tearing down the rich and sending away the full hungry. You yeah. know, like these are why have we made the Bible so boring? Yeah. It is the hardest book ever to make boring, and we did it. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Well, and we did Jile a couple of weeks ago, Charlie Demers, and, uh, and, uh, um, who was the other guy that, well, who, who did, it was Charlie Demers, and I forget who the other, I And somebody who didn't pull their weight, apparently. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to whoever that is, I don't know, I'm just making a joke. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, but, but that was one of the things we talked about, is that, like, not only that, like is called Elizabeth is like blessed among women are you the only other person called blessed among women is Jael who murdered a dude by putting a tent peg through his head right like so like like as as a revolutionary act so Mary gets lumped in that as well like their expectation is is violent revolution and and I think that the, that this story is in some ways very applicable because like is it righteous to burn down a target and loot it maybe not but sometimes it's the only thing you got is it righteous yeah. to trick your 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 father-in-law into having sex with you in order to, to get yourself taken care of no it's not good but sometimes it's the only thing you've got and it's not as bad as what was going on before then i think that that is a fair comparison to be like you know like that this is 
that this is like these are not comparable things if you're more upset about the or if you're somehow equating the murder of a human being with the burning down of a tar a looting and burning down of a target <laughs> you're an idiot like you yeah. just don't understand things and what what matters and and you're in no way in communion with jesus like this is like i'm gonna un unequivocally say that you know like so uh, I, I like. I think that the, that that sort of gets me, you know, like into the like. Yeah, we need to turn this story up. And, and exactly what you said, Kevin. How did we make the Bible boring? Somehow I mean, yeah. we managed to flatten it out. I, I think I would. I would probably like nuance this a little in saying, I think the Bible, a lot of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, does a great job of showing us how the world works and and sort of how what mm. wisdom looks like. Right. But it, it's, I'm not a Christian because of the Old Testament. Like, I'm not a follower of Jesus because of the Old Testament. Um, it's a beautiful, compelling part of it. It reveals elements of God and humanity and creation. But, you know, when I look at Christ, I go, okay, so I can't put a tent peg through my enemy's head, even if I want to. The story, that story tells me I'm going to want to. And that story tells me that people do, and that those people aren't wicked people. They're people trying to survive. Right. If I'm going to be a Christ follower, I'm now called into a radical peacemaking. I'm called into enemy love. I'm called into laying down my life and putting my body between hostility. That doesn't mean though that now I can have empathy for the looter because I understand JL. And I can even have empathy for the oppressor because I understand that the oppressed people are often people caught in their own powers and principalities. So I would say there's, there's a certain amount of call as the Christ follower to, to live out of that. But I think these Old Testament texts, maybe they don't prescribe what I should do, but they describe how the world is. And that builds in me a greater sense of being with my neighbors without needing them to be Christ followers, to be able to say, I see you because I've seen in my own holy story, yeah. people like you. And I, I think I can understand why you're doing this. So I, I think there's a, a bit of a application question maybe that we got to get to that is well, and, more and, beyond where maybe where we want to go. And, and people who are genuinely people of faith can disagree on this. Cause I'm a little bit like, sometimes you might have to put a tent bag through somebody's head. So ah! Might be the most righteous thing that you can possibly do. And I know that that, angers a lot of people in certain quarters but like I, I don't think that the pacifism of the that even the new testament is nearly as as pacifist as as, as some See, of our that's a whole uh, other dan show. dan i would say that, we that's, actually, a, that's a whole I, other podcast i would say we have to put the the nail through our own hands <laughs> as the and, followers of the reason. All right, it's about time to wrap this up. It's about time to wrap this up. Now we're in it. No, Let's no, go. No, no, no. I can do that. I was enjoying this and you've ruined it. <laughs> no, we got an altar call now. Don't we altar call at the no. end? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There will be no altar call. So, oh, damn. Okay. We picked up enough of your time. This has been awesome. Thank you guys so much. And that was Dave Ray, I remembered. It was Dave Ray and Charlie DeMurray. Nice. Go back and listen to the Gile episode. Thank you, Teddy, for reminding me of that. Go back and listen to the Gile episode. It was great. Uh, they did an amazing job. But uh, I do want to thank you guys uh, for coming and talking about the story. This has been fun. Um, I do have one last word. I'm going to give it to Zach. Um, Kevin is followed by famous and amazing rapper Shad, you mm -hmm. know, also a Southern Ontario guy. Great guy. Um, the best guy. I've never met him, but I wish I was followed by Shad. Um, on social medias. Uh, I'm followed by Killer Mike from Run the Jewels. Who it, Who's cooler? Uh, definitely you. You win that one for sure. 
because because I'm also followed by Shad on social media, oh. and <laughs> a bunch of us I'm are just friends imp- with Shad. He's not following yeah, us. I just thinks we're cool. He's following yeah. us because he just likes our yeah. kids. I go. To, I sit beside. <laughs> I sit beside Shad at church on Sunday. So oh, okay. I'm not very impressed with anything that he does. <laughs> Can you imagine if Kevin likes Shad? I went, though? I went to a, I went to a party one time. I went to a party with Shad one time, and he told me that he thinks that Weird Al is one of the top ten greatest artists of all time. And I'll and I, once that came out, that I just I don't respect Shad's opinion on art or who he follows or what he thinks is good in any way. Killer Mike, on the other hand, deep respect. Hey, well, you, you guys, win, Dan. You, you guys win. are gonna have to connect me with Shad so I can have him on the show because I think Killer Mike just moved himself out of my uh, demo, my, <laughs> my pay grade. Uh, Brother Jules Four, it's so good. I know it's, it's so good. Awesome. It's so good. Awesome. Uh, I want to thank you guys for being here so much. But oh, we're, the other thing we got to do before don't go anywhere, Kevin. You got a book come out. Tell us about what about your book. Oh yeah, the reason that uh, that this all got set up in the first <laughs> yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't imagine how hard I laughed today when you sent out the message for the show, and I was like, oh, it's Zach, <laughs> <laughs> my my legit brother Zach. Uh, I got a. I don't know when this is airing. I guess it's streaming live right now. So yeah, um, got a book coming out June sixteenth called Why Would Anyone Go to Church. Um, and for people listening to this, it is not a book you have to love church or religion or um, Christianity to enjoy. It is largely just like confessional stories of trying to figure out what community and faith looks like. You won't learn very much like actual like there's no like um, there's no here's how to do church. Like I'm not I don't care. I'm not going to figure out how to grow my church to 5090. No, like no, that. you will you will certainly not. But it's it's just it's narratives, it's stories, it's some biblical reflect. It's very much what we're doing here and uh, I think it's not completely unfunny. So, you know, I hope that if people <laughs> dig this conversation, feel free to check it out and see if you might like it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, also listen to Zach po- Zach what's your podcast? The Zachy Sports Podcast. Listen to the Zachy Sports Guide every day, right? Every day. Like seven days a week? Five days a week. Five days Monday, a week. Okay. Monday to Friday. Monday to Friday. Let's not be insane. Okay, good. Yeah, so yeah. check those things out. Thank you guys so, so much for hanging around on Holy Shit. Uh, yeah, have a good time, and uh, we will see you soon. Thanks again so Thanks, much. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, man. Peace. Have a good one. Everyone.